we ready our hearts to continue in worship through your word being preached and spoken, that it would dwell within us and that we would experience the freedom that comes with that. And we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. My name's Aaron, and I'm one of the pastors here. Today, we are continuing in our series on the identity, on our identity as worshipers. So I have the honor of walking us through what worship means as we gather together on Sunday mornings. So I'll take a moment now and send off Antioch kiddos. As you all get ready to go, we enjoy sending you. So join with me together as we send them this week. We say, you are sent. As the hustle and bustle dies down, I just want to say, I love you all dearly so much. I love being here. It has been just such a joy for these many years that we've been here uh, at Antioch, and I genuinely feel the love in my heart grow every single Sunday for you all. So I hope that's evident as I preach this morning. So our series on what it means to be a worshiper is one that is near to my heart. And hopefully to yours too. Maybe I'll convince you of that just a little bit more by the time this sermon's over. Why is it near to my heart? Is it because I'm a musician? And when folks think about the question of what is worship, usually the first thing that comes to their mind is music. Maybe. That may play into it a little bit, although it doesn't tell the entire story. You see, over the course of my whole life, I've really tried to consider what, worship it, what worshiping God really is and what worship is. I'm not sure I'll ever get to the bottom of that orchestral composition, but one hook that I've found over and over is this, that all of life is worship. If you're familiar with the hook of a song, it's, one, it's something that it's named like that because when you go fishing, you grab something and it just grabs you. When you think of songs, that's what I like to think about um, with the hook, it just sticks with you. When I think about worship, I think about that line, all of life is worship. We're always worshiping something. The sick days, the days of sorrow, the highs of a new promotion, the moment you kiss your bride on your wedding day, the days of gardening, the days of sleeping in, the days of leisure or work, days of hiking, all of it is worship. As people created by God, we're inherently oriented to continually engage in acts of worship. What's our heart yearning for all the time? That's the question that we're always answering with our lives. And that's what we're worshiping. We're giving glory to that thing. Our identities as Christians that we've lined out here at Antioch are eyewitnesses, disciples, blessing, worshipers, and family. We decided to focus on our identity as worshipers because we really see all of our other identities flowing through this one. With that in mind, if you're able, let's stand together as we approach our text this morning. We're in Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father 
through him. As we say each week, the Lord has spoken to us. We say this together. Thanks be to God. Please, you may be seated. Here's where we're going. I'm going to go through it quickly, but obviously we're going to hit each and every point. Here's where we're heading this morning. The word of Christ dwells in his worshipers. Worshipers teach one another, they sing together, and they continue on with thankful hearts. And then we're going to get into what that means for us. We group, gather, and go. When I was 16, my journey into the world of music started. I was at a church camp, and I saw this bass player with his sleeves all the way down like this. Like his little fingers were right here, and he was playing the bass. And I looked at him, and I was like, wow, that looks so easy. He looks so cool. I want to have long sleeves like him. I want to put my sleeves over my fingers like this. And I want to pick up a bass guitar and push those low notes out of the speakers. Because it felt like when the bass drum hits, boom, the bass player hits a note. So in time, with the timing correct, when someone hits the note, the bass drum hits, and you really feel it in your chest, and that note just goes through you. And I was like, I can do that. I want to do that. I'd never touched a guitar, a musical instrument, ever in my whole life. But I saw it only had four strings. It couldn't be that difficult. So I saved up, drove a lot of tractors, and bought my first bass guitar. Never took lessons from anyone, just had a little book and some CDs. Later, as a teenager, as I matured, I noticed some of my friends playing acoustic guitar. This was the emo phase, so all the dudes were playing guitar in high school and singing to girls and all that, you know. But I was like, I want to play acoustic guitar too. So same rodeo, I saved up, bought my very first acoustic guitar, never had a teacher, just had to learn all the chords and notes by myself. I joined the youth group worship team. We were called, you ready for this one? Refined. And learned, I learned quickly how important one aspect of music was, rhythm. Rhythm keeps a, music, a piece of music organized. Rhythm has a feeling all to itself. It's the building block of that magical feeling of kind of knowing when to sing with someone else or when you play at the right moment or hit the beat at the right time. Let's do it together. Ready? All right, rhythm. Let's mix it up a little bit. Ready? Use your feet. See? Amen. See, we're already getting moving, getting your bodies going. See, you've all created a beat. You've all engaged in rhythm. As you have sung this morning, you have engaged in rhythm. But here's, another, here's a beautiful thing. It's not just limited to music. We all experience rhythm in different ways. It's molded into the fabric of our universe, of all of creation. We see it in the sunrise, in the sunsets. We see it in the changing of seasons, in our morning coffee routines, in astronomy as the planets orbit one another and galaxies orbit one another. It's in all of life. And I have the joy of walking us through one of the most important rhythms of a Christian's life, Sunday gatherings. 
If you look at our gathering from the outside, we've already experienced this rhythm. We came in, got started around 10.30, heard a call to worship, we sang together, had a moment of confession, lifted our voices, and then what comes next? The sermon, the Word. Then, after that, comes communion, we sing again, and then a benediction. If I may be so brave, this looks like the outline of a song. We got the intro, call to worship, bringing everybody in to hook you in with us. Verse one, we sing. Verse two, we have a confession. Pre-chorus, lifting our voices up with another song. We have a chorus right now. The bridge is the invitation to take hold of the grace of God that was laid out before you all service long and through the word. And the final chorus, the communion. And then outro, we sing and a benediction again. I know I'm stretching things here and there, but whatever way you look at it, there's a rhythm to our Sunday mornings. And it's good for your soul to experience this rhythm each and every week. If you watch our gatherings closely and we dig in a little bit more, you'll pick up that our aim to eat, that our aim of our weekly gathering each week is around these rhythms of the story of the gospel. We focus on the creation, the fall through confession, redemption, and the consummation that we all look forward to. This is how the Bible structures itself, too. Let's dive in the text and see where it's taking us. The word of Christ dwells in his worshipers. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Young disciples, the word here is dwell. Let the word of Christ dwell in in you richly. We'll kick this song off. I mean, sermon off. Oh, ha, ha, ha. Oh, ho, ho. such a dad joke, man. We'll kick it off with a bit of atmosphere around the text. We'll ease into why we're here and near the end of the letter, at the end of the letter to the Colossians. The Christians at Colossae didn't have the gospels like you and I have them right now. They were largely dependent on the oral traditions that were carried on by the followers of Jesus and his apostles. Yet we see through the letter that they were already well-versed on what it meant to be a Christian. They also had a deep impact on Paul, since the tone of his is one of love and compassion, and not necessarily pointed discipline or harsh correction. It's not to say the letter wasn't pointed, because he encourages them throughout the letter to stay away from heresy. But it's nothing quite like Galatians, where Paul says stuff like, I literally cannot believe you so quickly turned away from the truth. And I'm fearful for you that perhaps my labor has been wasted. Instead, we see the verse right before this. It's one of love and grace. We see it in Colossians 3, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has had a complaint. This encouragement is meant to spur them on and get them on the path away from anxiety and worry. Their identity is in Christ, after all, as worshipers. One beautiful way we see him encourage them in this way is his use of the word dwell. It's a common theme of Paul's writing. It appears in many of his other letters too. And it's a beautiful example of the shift from God's former dwelling place among his people in the cloud and in the temple, 
to now within our hearts. I love where he goes here. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. There are several things happening here. It's a reinforcing claim of Christ's deity. It's also an encouragement to let all that Christ taught forever stay in your heart. Dwell means to be fully present with a place, in, in, the, in a place or with a person. Paul exclaims, if you're a Christian, you have Christ dwelling in you. Rest in that. Let it sift through your skin and let the story of his works and his redemption of your soul get down into the marrow of your bones. That type of dwelling doesn't just go away and it can't be taken from you because it gets deep into the fiber of your being. Another quick aside, this statement is profound because you can't just say this about any old person. You don't say this about some inanimate object either. Let the words of Luke Skywalker dwell richly in you. Let the words of Queen Elizabeth dwell richly in you. Let the words of Johnny Cash dwell in you richly. Now, some of you may love some of those things that I just said, and they all said wise things in their time, but it doesn't quite have the same feel. Why is that? Well, there's no substance behind them. I think the answer is simple here. There's no long-lasting hope behind the other words of other human beings. There are very good and wise things to say, obviously, but we don't dwell in those words because they aren't leading us anywhere. Our immortal souls are constantly looking for something or someone to dwell in, to worship. But they really can't touch the deepest longings of our souls. This is just another reason, a beautiful reason, why Jesus is so epic. And he continues to be epic today to decimate our expectations of who he was back then and today, 2,000 years later. Our next point here is that worshipers teach one another. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Young disciples here, your next word, your next uh, fill in the blank part is worshipers teach. All Christians are constantly teaching one another how to live the Christian life. You may not have ever seen yourself being a teacher, but as Christians, no matter what you're doing, you are teaching someone next to you, someone in your family. The world is watching you all the time. And we see it echoed by the Apostle Paul in some of his epistles. In Romans 15, we see him say, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. And then we see in Proverbs chapter 27, iron sharpens iron, and one man or person sharpens another. A great way we think about this here at Antioch is the term discipleship. The Christian term for this is discipleship. I love the help we had from Tanner's sermon applying discipleship as worshiping God and giving him glory through the relationships you enjoy 
with one another. That is teaching one another right there. When you live your life among believers, it is always an act of teaching, whether you think it's purposeful or not. So that's the first part of our text today. Second part is worshipers sing together. Colossians 3, 16-17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Young disciples, your next word here is worshipers sing. Yo. It's building right now. I feel it. You may not feel it. You might just be sitting there, but I feel it right now. Paul is slowly building this verse up. What's one way we let the word of Christ dwell in each other? What's another way that we teach and admonish one another in all wisdom? Here's the answer. Singing. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, singing, singing. That's the title of my sermon, by the way. Singing, singing, singing. I know we don't know all too much about heaven, but I can tell you one thing. It's erupting in song right now. It has been since the dawn of time. We won't have to gather weekly on Sunday mornings and hear a sermon anymore. We will be singing instead. Here's a few evidences of that. I'm just going to read some scripture for you. Job 38. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me. Do you have understanding? Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone? Here we go. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. We're going to sing. We're going to shout. Psalm 96, uh, verses 11 through 13. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult in everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For He comes. For He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and peoples in His faithfulness. And in Revelation, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. Is he worthy? He is. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Singing is everywhere in our universe and in our Bible. It's also ingrained in you and in your heart. Sometimes we just can't help but sing. Our identity as worshipers point us to this fact again. All of life is worship. Your act of walking in these doors and lifting up your voice on a Sunday morning corporately is worship. But singing gets deeper in a really special way. It saturates your mind. You were created with this innate ability to remember thousands and thousands of words and melodies and the words contained in them. You might be taken aback when you look at the book of Psalms and realize that the people of God used to sing these word for word. But how did they do that? It's because they sang them. 
I could sing any number of melodies right now, and you all can easily, without even thinking, continue that melody for me. You will likely know the words too. It's literally built into the fiber of our souls to worship this way. And yeah, this applies to everyone, regardless of your aptitude of the practice of what music is. Praise the Lord. Yeah, that's right. On Christ the solid. Oh, come on. <laughs> Other ground is sinking sand. For the Lord is good and That's right. Good, good. Do you guys know this one? Great is your faithfulness to me. Great is From the to the setting, I will. That's right. Yep. Yep. It's good. What is our hope in life? Christ alone. Christ alone. See, you guys know. Isn't this wonderful? You just know these. I don't think I could read any sentence that I have read again and you would know what word I said before or any other sermon that you've really heard in the past few weeks. Sure, the ideas sit with you. They do. The more teaching and the word proclaimed gets into your body and your blood and your mind and your soul, it does. Truly, over and over and over again. But singing gets to you a different way. I didn't, you didn't have to work for this. You didn't have to just sit and think. It just comes out of you. Worshippers sing together. It's a pastoral exercise each week to select the songs and the instruments that we use. And it's a teaching and discipleship exercise for you to lift your voice among one another every Sunday morning. It's worship and it's beautiful. You might be thinking, well, Aaron, you are so passionate and you love music, blah, blah. But I'm really not gifted musically. I can't even carry a tune. I'm no use to this whole singing and teaching and wisdom thing. To that, I'm going to say, that's a beautiful thing to think because you're being honest with yourself. But it's beautifully ignorant. You may not be able to sing in key. You may not be able to keep a rhythm and clap your hands very well. And that's okay. But when you lift your voice on Sunday morning, no matter what you sound like, you are teaching your brothers and sisters next to you that the words you're saying are true. That your worship is acceptable to God. That you have been redeemed. That your identity is not in how well you can harmonize or how well you can keep a beat or how well you can strum the guitar or play the cello or hit the cymbals on the drums. Your identity is in Christ. You are literally exercising your immortal souls longing to be before the throne when you lift your voice to Him, even imperfectly when you do it week after week.
Our next point is that worshipers continue on with thankful hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Young disciples, worshipers teach, sing, and have thankful hearts. When the Word of Christ is dwelling in you richly, when you've lifted your voices in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, you have taught your brothers and sisters to receive His Word. And when you've taken communion and blessing, what should continue in your heart? The answer I found is here, uh, we hear it from Paul in the book of Philippians. Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In all things, we are worshipers. On Sunday morning, we are worshipers. And in all of those things, when the word of Christ is dwelling in us, your heart is thankful. How does this hit home for you, for us sitting right here, right now? Well, if you are a Christian or a covenant member of Antioch, I'm just going to go straight to how this hits you and how we should live this out. We group, we gather, and we go. We group, we gather, and we go. We group, we gather, and we go. Do you notice anything here? It's a rhythm. It's a rhythm of thankfulness. And that's how we live this out. Young disciples, our next point is group, gather, and go. Our first one is group. There's a really unique and thought-provoking idea that Crystal and I came across when we were listening to the Bible Project back in 2020. Do any of you listen to the Bible Project? Just nod your head if you listen to the Bible. Yeah, Yeah? that's great. It's wonderful. I highly recommend it. The podcast we listen to is titled Humans Are Trees? Question mark? Within the podcast, Tim Mackey and John Collins explore one idea that the Bible seems to incorporate often. We see this in the Genesis account too, especially. Humans are surrounded by and often compared to trees. I highly recommend you give this series a listen. It's very thought-provoking and gives some good fruit for, you to, for your mind to chew on. The summary of how they arrived there is that the Bible uses really similar language when describing trees and describing humans. Both come from the ground. Both have similar outcomes, the knowledge of good and evil. We see this in the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life everlasting. Both produce seed and new generations. As the episode notes put it here, humans are often found alongside trees at great times of testing or trial. We see it in the creation story, the Garden of Eden, the fall of humanity, the covenants, 
the promised land, the temple, messianic imagery, the parables of Jesus are all wrought with trees, his death, the work of the Spirit, and new creation. The book of Proverbs also calls Lady Wisdom and the righteous trees of life. The biblical narrative sets us up to see how humans will act as either trees of testing or trees of life to one another. All right, hang with me here. Back in 2021, my wife and I went on our 10-year wedding anniversary to the Pacific Northwest. One of my favorite trips I've ever taken in my whole life. We traveled all across the state of Washington and saw some truly breathtaking scenery. I've got, I brought some, some pictures for you. Many, maybe some of you have been there before. But this is, these are pictures of the Ho Rainforest. It's actually a full, full rainforest here in the United States of America. One of the most incredible sights we came across were the trees of the Ho Rainforest. Over thousands of years, this forest has developed a complex ecosystem. And if you could sit on the first or the second slide, it'll, it'll stick out a little. Yeah, I'll go to the next one. Go to the next one. Yeah, this one's good. All right. Yeah, hang right here for a minute. One of those parts are the trees. Some of the oldest trees on the entire continent are contained in the rainforest here, many of which are between 500 and 1,000 years old. Absolutely incredible. And one stellar characteristic that just hit me so hard within this rainforest are something called nurse logs or nurse trees, where a tree has fallen over and other seedlings will sprout and form roots around the edges of the tree. The tree that fell will then provide ongoing long-term nutrients to the new growth. So cool. Isn't that amazing? So you can see it in this picture here. If you look below these trees, you will see an outline of an old tree that these trees have grown around. You look closely, it looks like a little hill, but it's actually trees that have fallen. They form a line on these logs. You see here at Antioch, we're not trying, I am going somewhere with this, by the way. <laughs> it's not just a cool example, although it is a cool example. Here at Antioch, we aren't trying to do something trendy, cool, or hip. We aren't trying to be the flashy new performance with fog machines and flashing lights and um, pastors that are just holograms up here. We're not heading in that direction. (laughs) We aren't concerned about numbers. We aren't concerned about building a new building or hiring the most captivating speakers to come and woo us each and every Sunday. No. We lean and rest on the shoulders of giants that have passed on before us. We embrace these ancient truths of the Christian faith that guide us to the words of Christ. You know how the first Jesus followers discipled one another? And for centuries since then, they grouped with one another around the gospel, around the word of Christ. They gathered together as a church, one holy, catholic, universal church, and were sent among the nations. You see, we, those people, excuse me, they are those nurse trees in a way. And you and I continue to benefit from those trees of life that have passed on and left left us a legacy of the gospels, epistles, and church traditions that keep our faith strong today. When we group together in family group, 
like the original Jesus followers, this is, excuse me, I read that wrong. When we group like the original Jesus followers, we call this family groups. This is where relationships really form as you share your lives with one another. Sometimes you'll sit around a meal together, but you always share what's going on with your life and you pray together. You are teaching and admonishing one another each and every week as you prepare to meet again on our Sunday gatherings. Which leads us to our next point, gather. The next application is the act of coming together on a Sunday morning. Here's the simple application for that. You've got to be here. It's not a simple call to just commit. It's actually a call to relationship. A call to intentional gospel relationships with one another. And it's impossible to fulfill this verse if you're on an island all to yourself. Especially the part about teaching and admonishing one another by singing. Who would you be singing to? Who is being edified by your presence? What truths are you conveying or could you possibly convey to others or yourself? As a small aside here, this is a nice apologetic reference to those who struggle with joining during gathering. Or for those that claim that you can have a relationship with God outside of the gathered body of Christ. It can't work like that. This, these verses teach us that you've got to be here with one another. The faith passed down from the saints is meant to be lived out with one another. It's meant to be sung to one another. It's meant to be preached to one another. The Lord even calls it not good for man to be alone in the garden. We see this in the garden of, in Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God said it's not good that the man should be alone. We aren't meant to be alone. In fact, one of our deepest desires is to belong and have a deep rootedness to the place that God has set us. You might be thinking to yourself, well, what's the difference between family groups and our weekly gathering? Seems pretty similar to me. That's a good question. And we'll be honest with you, there's not a whole lot of difference until we get to the end of this. The answer here lies in the meeting with your family group could be a church. There are house churches. In fact, that's how the earliest churches were started. They met in people's homes. They broke bread together. They sang together. But if you only stay there, you'll lose a vision for the whole bride of Christ. I was helped by John Piper with this answer and this, with this, as, this, as this came to me from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's look at this together. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes to his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat? That's, a, this, that's the key part. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? Absolutely not. No, I will not. So this isn't an aside or an argument that is necessarily against house churches. But Paul is saying here, don't neglect the gathering of the universal church that we see. It's apparent that as the church of God grew, they grew out of these house churches. And they began gathering as a church of the city and as a representation to the greater universal church. So we've chosen here 
as a church to meet together in small groups that we call family groups to really get intentional with one another and then represent the whole universal church on our Sunday gatherings. All right, so with all this in mind, you belong here. Church isn't simply a commitment. It's a call to come, to engage in relationship, to worship and belong. Our last application here is go. What does it mean to go? Our text this morning emphasizes leaving with thankfulness in your hearts. So it's easy to just say, just do that. Just leave. Just leave thankful. Just go thankful. But I think it's a little harder just to be thankful for thankfulness's sake. So maybe Paul meant a little bit more than to just say, be thankful. What I think we see here is that Paul is saying, if you're a Christian, lay hold to the truth of truth, truths of old. Lay hold of the truths that you heard from those around you this morning. Lay hold of the songs that you heard and sang. If you go with those in your heart, you will have left with a thankful heart. You don't have to leave this morning with a smile on your face to have a thankful heart. If you've, if you've been here this morning, lifted your voice in singing, heard the word, were taught by your brothers and sisters in Christ, you will have left with a thankful heart. Take a look at those nursed logs that we find so much nourishment from. Take a look at those around us that have passed on and the word before you in the Bible. Remember those that come before us and will come after us. They are meant to hold you firm as you go. Look to the most secure root that we have, Christ himself. Here's one quick way you can embody going. When you're out and about this week, this is, this is interesting. When you're out and about this week, if you find yourself struggling to pray, I find myself often like, what do I say? What do I say? As I close my eyes to get down there and say a sentence to God. As you go, instead of like coming up with a sentence, maybe sing. Sing a hymn. Sing a song that comes to your mind. Sing a, sing a uh, psalm that we've sung here before, if, those, if, they, if it comes to your mind, which we've been doing. Do it once. Instead of trying to conjure up a prayer, sing a song. The content of that song will likely put to words what your mind struggles to bring out in a prayer. You don't necessarily have to leave service with a smile on your face. But the joy of knowing you worship the Lord from the moment you open your eyes on Sunday morning till the moment you finish that last sip of coffee at 1215 after we've gathered, you've left with a thankful heart. And you go. You go well. All right. We've heard a lot about doing this morning. We've sang. We've created beats. I think this sermon's definitely been heavy on doing without a doubt. If I'm honest, that's hard for me. I've never been really good at like calling people to get up, change their life, and go. I'm always like a go with the flow kind of guy, very agreeable. But I think there's so much life in this text. And I'd really, I really, I'm going to push you based on the truth of this text to sing. Lift your voices during church. Open your ears. You're teaching others. 
I may be talking to some here who have thoughts swaying about in their minds. Man, I can't sing. I don't really, I don't really enjoy getting up and coming. Or I'm only here because I was invited. If I've hit a spot in your heart with that thought, just look to your left, look to your right. And I promise that those people have had the same exact experiences and thoughts as you. You belong here, at least in part, because we have shared those thoughts with you. We all come up short. None of our worship is perfect, but it's made perfect through the one we look to, Jesus. If that's you this morning, here's my encouragement. Take the plunge into the joys of what life truly has to offer you. And it's not what this world has to offer you as Josh led with the, during our call to worship, as the world beckons you for hope. Worship the things that I have out there. It's calling to you all the time. It's what the people around you are witnessing right now. This is worship as you sit here. You're not singing, but you're worshiping together. And you're teaching one another that your presence matters. The people around you are pointing to something that has given hope to the world. A person, Jesus. We all look collectively to his work his words, and his redeeming act by his death and resurrection. And you can too. Truly belonging from the depths of my heart to yours is knowing Jesus. There's so much freedom in that. When you set your hope on him, you're no longer bound by the worship of the world. You no longer have to be ashamed of your ineptitudes or your anxieties because your life will be set anew. To others of you who struggle with teaching others as I do or struggle to sing on Sunday mornings, your presence and your body is a witness and a teacher to those among you. How glorious it is to lift your voice with your whole heart, even if it's off key. Because it's ultimately not about you. It's about who we are pointing to, God himself on the throne. As I wrap up here, I'll step out with a personal note. All of this freedom that I've just spoken about is an evidence of grace about why I'm standing here as a pastor of worship, as your pastor of worship. For much of my life, music was all about performance and stepping out and really ensuring that I led well. How'd that show go? How'd that worship session go? So much of me was in it. That story came crashing down when I realized I wasn't all that in a bag of chips. I was wrecked with anxiety about playing and singing. There was one Sunday when I started to play music again. I took like a five-year break. There was one Sunday when when we were here at Antioch and I started to lead lead singing. I led the first half, and then I had to step out because my body was like shaking. I was so panicked ridden with anxiety and low self-confidence. I nearly passed out because I was so nervous out there. But then the Lord met me. He didn't meet me right then. I had to get up with a nauseous stomach and sing the rest of the songs and lead them with you. But he met me after many Sundays and a rhythm of seeing other people witness to me that this isn't Aaron's church. This isn't their church. It's his church. And what we're doing here all points 
to Jesus. And with that freedom that I've felt here and experienced, I'm standing here now, joining in song to the one who deserves it most and who loves you most. I'm going to leave with a quote from Alan Noble's book on getting out of bed that really, it's called, the book is called On Getting Out of Bed, and it emphasizes being here. When times of ineptness or doubt come, your obligation is to look toward others as witnesses of God's goodness, to remember your responsibility to care for others, and to remember that you are always a witness, whether you want to be or not. And most of all, remember that you are God's beloved. We outro our service every single week with a benediction. A word of peace that reminds you to take what you experienced this morning through the Spirit and leave with thankfulness. To step out these doors, scatter among the nations, and be disciple makers to all those who you know and come in contact with. Which leads us to the next section. Communion. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, he sat with his disciples. And he took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Later on, he took a cup of wine, and after blessing it, he poured it out. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, marked by the shedding of my blood. And each time we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we are proclaiming his return. So let's do that with joy this morning. We're announcing this morning that through Christ, we are all witnesses. Oh, let's say this together. Through Christ, we are all witnesses to one another for his glory. There'll be gluten-free options on my left and your right, if you choose. As we get ready to continue in worship through song and communion, there will be people who would love to pray with you about any need that you have. If you're a Christian this morning, this table is for you, and we invite you to come. If you're a baptized believer this morning, please come and take. If you're not a Christian, lay hold of the joys that we saw in the book of Colossians this morning. Acknowledge that you have not experienced the freedom of what life can give you through Christ, and take Him instead. There will be people that can pray with you in the back. There will be pastors in the back that will be glad to lead you and care for you in any way. Love you all so much. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for this moment of worship, for this rhythm of the gathering that you've given us. We see it echoed in all of creation. We see it echoed in the sunrise and the sunsets. We see it played out among our brothers and sisters in Christ every week through family groups, through gathering, through teaching one another. We're thankful, Father. And as we prepare our hearts to sing, remind us that we have the freedom to be ourselves, to lift our voices to you, whether or not it's in key, because our being here is a witness to those around us. We look to you, O Christ, for your love and your work that you've accomplished for us. We said it in that. In your name we pray. Amen.